0: To your word, to your heart, for the orphan, for the neediest among the needy, for those who need a family, for those who need a home, open our hearts as you opened your hearts towards us and came to visit us in our affliction and adopt us into your family guide us as we study your word this day. In Jesus' name. I'd like to begin this morning with a little story. It's kind of a long story, but it's from the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. And when I first read this story, I was just a boy just learning who Benjamin Franklin was. I didn't even know who George Whitfield was, but George Whitfield was the Billy Graham of colonial America. He made seven preaching trips to America, and it's estimated that something like three-fourths of the Americans of that era heard George Whitfield preach. He was uh, not just a great preacher, but if there is a preacher's hall of fame somewhere in heaven, George Whitfield is a charter member. Uh, he was one of the great preachers preachers of all time. And so I'm going to read from the words of Benjamin Franklin, who of among the founding fathers was, uh, was, was not really uh, a Christian. Many of the founding fathers were. Uh, ben Franklin was uh, friendly towards Christians. He uh, very much uh, believed that there was a place for religion in uh, America, but he himself, I think, was more of a deist. So let me read from you uh, Benjamin Franklin on George Whitfield. In 1739 arrived among us from England the Reverend Mr. Whitfield, who had made himself remarkable there as an itinerant preacher. He was first permitted to preach in some of our churches, But the clergy, taking a dislike to him, soon refused him their pulpits, and he was obliged to preach in the fields. The multitudes of all sects and denominations that attended his sermons were enormous, and it was a matter of speculation to me, who was one of the number, to observe the extraordinary influence of his oratory on his hearers, and how much they admired and respected him notwithstanding his common abuse of them by assuring them that they were naturally half-beasts and half-devils. It was wonderful to see the change soon made in the manners of our inhabitants. From being thoughtless or indifferent about religion, it seemed as if all the world were growing religious, so that one could not walk through the town at evening without hearing psalms sung in different families of every street. Mr. Whitfield, in leaving us, went preaching all the way through the colonies to Georgia. The settlement of that province had lately been begun, but instead of being made with hardy, industrious husbandmen, farmers, accustomed to labor, the only people fit for such an enterprise, it was with families of broken shopkeepers and other insolvent debtors, Many of, the, many of indolent and idle habits, taken out of jails, who being set down in the woods, unqualified for clearing land, and being unable to endure the hardships of a new settlement, perished in numbers, leaving many helpless children unprovided for. The sight of their miserable situation inspired the benevolent heart of Mr. Whitfield with the idea of building an orphan house there, in which they might be supported and educated. Returning northward, he preached up this charity and made large collections, for his eloquence had a wonderful power over the hearts and purses of his hearers, of which I myself was an instance. I did not disapprove of the design, but as Georgia was then destitute of materials and workmen, and it was proposed to send them from Philadelphia at a great expense, I thought it would have been better to have built the house here and brought the children to it. This I advised, but he was resolute in his first project and rejected my counsel, and I thereupon refused to contribute. I happened soon after to attend one of his sermons, in the course of which I perceived he intended to finish with a collection, and I silently resolved he should get nothing from me. I had in my pocket a handful of copper money, three or four silver dollars, and five pistols, Spanish coins, in gold. As he proceeded, I began to soften and concluded to give the coppers. Another stroke of his oratory made me ashamed of that and determined me to give the silver. And he finished so admirably that I emptied my pocket wholly into the collector's dish, gold and all. Some of Mr. Whitfield's enemies affected to suppose that he would apply these collections to his own private emolument, profit. But I, who was intimately acquainted with him, being employed in printing his sermons and journals, never had the least suspicion of his integrity, but am to this day decidedly of opinion that he was in all his conduct a perfectly honest man. And methinks my testimony in his favor ought to have the more weight, as we had no religious connection. He used indeed sometimes to pray for my conversion, but never had the satisfaction of believing that his prayers were heard. Ours was a mere civil friendship, sincere on both sides, and lasted to his death. I've always loved this story. Whitfield is one of my heroes, and I think there are several lessons we can learn from this story, if you can accept that it's written from the point of view of one who was not a believer and made no claim to be a believer. First of all, the gospel should fill us with compassion for the most needy among us, the most helpless among us the widows and the orphans. And secondly, true faith, genuine faith, should lead us to good works that seek to meet the practical needs of the poor. And then finally, when sincere faith is accompanied by good works that meet real needs... We gain the respect of the world, even the non-Christian world. We gain their respect and a hearing for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today I want to talk to you about the same burden that was on the heart of George Whitfield over 250 years ago. It was on the heart of the Apostle James 17 centuries before that, and as I believe I can demonstrate, it is found throughout the Bible. I want to talk to you about the desperate need of children whose parents have died or who have abandoned them. And I want you to hear the cry of the orphans, like Whitfield heard it in Georgia. And like Whitfield, I'm going to ask you to do something about it. Now, you may say, I didn't realize that we had an orphan crisis in the world today, but we do. As you saw on the video, 135,000 orphans a year in America. And then according to the United Nations Children's Fund, UNICEF, there are estimated to be between 143 and 210 million orphans worldwide. Get that. That's basically half the population of the United States. Ten million of those kids are in institutions, but many of them are on the streets. We have summer mission trips that go down to South America, and 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 in many of those cities there are they are filled with street children, and we have ministries to street children. Those are orphans. They have no home, they have no parents. While this estimate is staggering, it likely fails to give a full picture of the scope of the problem. You see, UNICEF only includes children who have lost one or both parents to death in its calculation of the worldwide orphan population. UNICEF does not take into account the numerous orphan children whose living parents have abandoned them to institutions or life on the street. UNICEF estimates also do not reflect sold or trafficked children who are living in slavery, or orphans living in those countries, mostly Middle Eastern Islamic nations, that fail to report orphan statistics. Truly, we have no way of knowing how many children may be orphaned and unaccounted for in today's statistics. What we do know is that the numbers of fatherless children are astounding, and we know that God has given Christ followers the mission of caring for them in their hardship. And that's from the book, this book, Orphanology, one of many recent books that have come out by Christians urging the church to be involved in the care of orphans, to be involved in the cause of adoption, to be involved in mentoring and visiting orphans and high-risk children in their in their point of need. What's it like for these orphans, particularly those in foreign countries? Here's what the authors of uh, orphanology have to say about that. Studies reveal... The children living in institutions are much more likely to experience violence and sexual abuse when compared to orphans being reared in a foster care environment. And generally, institutionalized orphans also suffer from poor life outcomes. Orphan graduates, those children who attain majority age while in the institution and who are subsequently released to live independently, face few options and great desperation in finding a life beyond the institution. In Ukraine, for instance, the typical orphan graduate ages out of the system at age 16, at least one year shy of a completed secondary education, with little potential for further education or employment. With little or no option, these young adults commonly turn to crime and prostitution as a means of survival. The desperation drives many to suicide, with as many as 10% taking their lives before the age of 18. Life prior to their graduation gives few of these kids reasons to hope for the future. Their days are spent in the relatively cold seclusion of the orphanage, without experiences that show them a life beyond what they experience in the institution. One statistic says uh, that uh, approximately 70% of un- unadopted girls in the Ukraine end up in prostitution and 80% of the boys end up in a life of crime. And in some countries of Africa, many of the young boys get recruited into, uh, into militias and radical groups as soldiers for uh, militant groups. What does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture tell us that we should do? Psalm 82, 3 and 4 says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Proverbs 24 says this, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who watches over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Isaiah writes, cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. And as we read as our text, James writes, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We say, well, that just says to visit orphans. So maybe all we need to do is just Go visit them. Well, no, the word there, the Greek word there that we translate visit, it has the same root as the word overseer or bishop. It means to come to someone's aid, to visit them in their distress in the same way that Jesus visited us in our distress. We were sinners and we were without hope. We were estranged from God. We were aliens and strangers with no hope. And what did he do? Well, he didn't say, you know, hope that works out for you. I'll say a prayer for you. What did he do? He he laid aside his glory. He took on human flesh. He he became a man, fully God, fully man. He was he was born into our world, born born as a human child. And he came to us. And and, and he understood our situation completely because he became one of us. He visited us in our distress. He came as a good shepherd seeks after the lost sheep. And that's what it means to visit orphans in their distress. It means to come, to, to, to get into their shoes, to get into their world, to understand their needs and to do something about it. What God did for us is he sent his only son to die on the cross for us that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And he not only saves us, he not only forgives those who trust in Christ for salvation, he does something more. He does something radical, he does something amazing, and Robert's going to talk more about the theology of adoption next week. But you know what God did for us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God has adopted you into his family. See, he didn't just save you and keep his distance. He's adopted you into his family. And you have all the rights and the privileges of a child of God. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. We are children of God by adoption. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The best solution to the world's orphan crisis is for loving Christian families to welcome these children into their lives and into their homes. And this includes mentoring, foster care, and adoption. Psalm 68, 5 and 6 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary or the lonely in families, in a home. And you know, Jesus always had a special interest in children. And I don't at all think it was like a politician who goes around kissing babies. I think he had a point to make. And so in Mark 9, 36 and 37, we read, And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. There are children. There are tens of thousands of children in America who need homes, who need parents, who need fathers and mothers, not only to provide for them, but to love them and to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And around the world, there are tens of millions of children who need homes. They're either out on the street living in who knows what kind of conditions, living in slums beside the great garbage dumps of the, of the, of the great cities of the world, or they're involved in crime and prostitution, many of them, Become addicted to drugs. What do you think Jesus would do if he were here today? What do you think he would tell us we ought to do if he were here today? Do you think he would ignore this crisis? Do you think that he would not be moved by this crisis? Do you think he would say, it's okay for us to be comfortable in our church pews when there are millions of children around the world who need a home? David Platt is the senior pastor at the Church of Brook Hills in Birmingham, Alabama. And he is personally very committed to this issue. And now his church is committed to this issue. And they, they have made this covenant of their church for their, for their congregation. In obedience to scripture, we have decided that we cannot and will not sit idly by while children are in need of a home to care and provide for their deepest needs in difficult times, whether that is for a short time or for a lifetime. We long to show God's love in Metro Birmingham in a way that not only serves the children around us, but ultimately honors the father to the fatherless. And as a result, we have dedicated ourselves to recruiting and raising up individuals and families to provide for all of the foster care and adoption needs in our county. Not some, not as many as we can, not as the Lord provides, but we are committed to provide for all of the foster care and adoption needs in our county. And they're doing it. what do you think the world thinks about a church that will do that? Do you think they'll listen to their message? Do you think they'll want to hear the gospel and know the Christ that would compel people to take such a commitment for him? Folks, that's what it's going to take to reach the world today. That's what it's going to take. You know, I'm as disturbed as you are about some of the negative things that are going on in our culture, in this post-Christian culture. In many ways, I, I wish this is not the time that God had put me in. I think I would have rather lived in simpler times if there are such things. But I know that in addition to whatever we do to try to take a stand for Scripture, what's going to get the attention of the world and what's going to get a hearing for the gospel is when we do what James calls us to do, religion that is pure and undefiled as this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their distress. It's going to get their attention. And obviously, it's it's going to mean that many of these children are going to hear the gospel because they're going to be raised in churches. They're going to be going to Sunday school. But I guarantee you, the community will take notice. And in fact, the community will eventually become dependent on the Christians to minister in this way. And... uh, They're they're a lot more likely to, uh, to show us favor if they need us than if we're just a nuisance to them or they regard us as a nuisance. The ultimate solution to the orphan crisis, I believe, is adoption. As you can see from the Focus on the Family video, there is a growing movement among evangelical churches today to become part of the solution and to support families who would like to adopt children. And when they do this, this is nothing new. They're just calling us back to our roots. They're calling us back to, to what George Whitfield and, and George Mueller knew years ago, what, what James knew and what the Scripture calls us to do from beginning to end. It's what Christians have always done. When Lisa and I went to North Carolina 18 years ago to plant Harvest Church, we met Bob and Janice. They already had two biological children, a boy and a girl. Nice house, neighborhood, that had a pool, wonderful family. You say, well, they've got everything. But they very much wanted to adopt another child. So first they tried to adopt a child from Vietnam, But after trying for many months, that fell through. And then they were able to adopt a little baby girl from China, who they named Anna Grace. Maybe her biological parents gave her up because they wanted a boy. Due to China's misguided one-child policy, many fathers would prefer to have a boy to carry on the family name. Whatever the reason. Anna Grace was an orphan. And Bob and Janice adopted her. And she was the first covenant child baptized in our new church. And the day she was baptized, I preached on the doctrine of adoption. How God has adopted all believers into his family as his children in the same way that Bob and Janice were adopting Anna Grace into their family. He takes all of us from desperate and hopeless situations and then he gives us all the rights and privileges of being children of God. And Grace is now a beautiful young woman, beautiful in every way, and a believer in Jesus Christ. Think how different her life is today because a Christian family in America traveled across the Pacific Ocean to bring her into her, their hearts and into their home. Think how different eternity will be for her because she was raised in a Christian family and came to know Christ as her Savior. You see, adoption is not just about couples who want children or who want more children. Adoption is about an entire culture within our churches, a culture that sees adoption as part of our great commission mandate and as a sign of the gospel itself. My friends, I believe our message to the world must be bold and clear. In God's world, there are no unwanted children. There are children whose parents have died. There are children whose parents cannot care for them. And sadly, there are some cases in which one or both parents do not want a child for some reason. Maybe they want a child of a different gender, or maybe at a different time in their lives, or maybe they want a child with no disabilities. And in these situations, here is what we as Christians say to the world. We want them. Well, that's a lot of children. How many do you want? all of them. Well, what about the children with disabilities? Do you want them? Yep, we want them. Well, what about children of different races? Well, they're made in the image of the God, just like we are. Jesus died for people of every nation, tribe, and tongue, so yes, of course we want children of all races. Why wouldn't we? The authors of Orphanology write, Orphan care means being engaged in transracial ministry. A further complication to the world's orphan situation is the global AIDS crisis. Much of the coming wave of new orphans in the world will be from Africa, the most AIDS-affected continent. Over 14 million children have been orphaned as a result of AIDS, and the number will likely continue to grow exponentially for the foreseeable future. To address this issue, the church will have to cross some difficult social barriers, to be sure. But they are barriers that should not exist. Practically and pointedly, there are likely not enough families of African heritage able to take all these children who can be adopted. Transracial adoptions must be an uh, an option to bring those who are adoptable into loving Christian families. More pointedly, this crisis affords the church a tangible opportunity to live out a God-based ethic of racial relationships and to engage in racial reconciliation to its utmost. There is a verse that has always moved me. And as a pastor, I've always wanted to put it on a plaque and hang it in the foyer of a church. Colossians 3.11 Colossians Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Don't you want the people who visit our church to know that? Don't you want every person who comes into this church to know that? That here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, black, white, or Hispanic, but Christ is all and in all. Maybe we'll put a plaque like that in the foyer of our church one day but one thing we must do if we want God to bless our church. We must welcome with open arms and open hearts anyone, and especially any child or young person who comes into our church. I believe we're already doing this, but I also believe that you want to be on record about this. I also believe that you want this said from this pulpit. Any believer who comes here to worship Christ is welcome regardless of his or her race. Any seeker who comes here to hear the gospel is welcome regardless of his or her race. And any child who comes or is brought to this church is welcome regardless of his or her race or ethnicity or country of origin. My friends, let's show the world that we are one in Christ one body and one family now like george whitfield i don't want to conclude without talking about money perhaps you've been sitting here and you agree with everything i've said so far and you may be saying hey are there are any families in our church that want to adult, adopt children i think that's great i'll pray for them but you see there's a problem adoption today is very, very expensive. It can easily cost ten or $20,000 per child or more. I know when I was, when Lisa and I were starting out, when we were a young family, we couldn't have afforded that. Most young families can't. Our government offers some tax credits to help. Our presbytery, believes in this cause and offers a grant to any family in one of our churches who wants to adopt a child. And the elders of our church have recently established an adoption fund to help members of our church with the high expenses of adoption. If we really want to be a church that supports adoption, we need to do what hundreds and thousands of other churches are doing across America today, and that's to help young families who are wanting to be a part of the solution to this global problem. Young families who've heard the cry of the orphans and they've been called to adopt. I think this is one of the best investments you can make for the kingdom of God. What does it cost to raise a child? Well, I think it's something like about a quarter of a million dollars from birth until you get them through college. So I want you to think about what you're investing in if you give to help a family adopt a child. You're you're giving... giving, Let's say say the church gave a family $10,000. We collected $10,000 to give to a family to adopt a child so that they could then turn around and spend... 20 or more years of their life and a quarter million dollars of their own money to bring that child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Can you find a matching gift like that anywhere else in the world? I don't think so. So I think it's a great investment for the kingdom. And we're going to take up a special collection next Sunday after Robert's sermon. And several times a year after that, just like we take up a collection for the Good Samaritan Fund, except the Adoption Fund will be used to help families in our church pay for the high cost of adoption, and they'll have to be approved by by a committee. And let me say this before I, I wrap this up. I'm not saying that everyone is called to adopt any more than I would say everyone's called to be a missionary. As much as I believe in missions, I don't believe everyone should go. I think you need to be called by God. Adoption is not always easy. It's not always uh, raising any child. It's not always easy. It has to be a calling that God puts on your heart. But God calls all of us to support missions and to pray for missionaries, and I believe that God calls all churches to be involved in, in visiting orphans and widows in their distress. Right now we have two young families in our church, the Lusks and the DeMosses, who are planning to adopt four children from Uganda. And if we all give generously to this fund, we can make this happen. Not not in a year, but in a few months. So if you're like Ben Franklin today, and you've been thinking, I'm not going to give anything to this cause, I hope you'll change your mind. And decide to give at least the coppers in your pocket. And then as you think about it some more, and you read these verses in the Bible, and you think about this global crisis of orphans around the world, millions of them, I hope God will soften your heart and you'll dig a little deeper and give the silver. And I wish I could say that I could preach like George Whitfield, but I can't. So I'm simply going to pray that this congregation will be moved by the Holy Spirit of God and He will so move us that we reach even deeper and we give the gold as well. Have you heard the cry of the orphans? Will you give as much as you can to help bring these children home and change their lives forever? And will you welcome them as part of our family when God in his providence and goodness brings them here? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let us pray. Father, there is a world in need. And we come as needy people. We need you. We need the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy that only Christ can give because of His death on the cross. But then as ones who have received mercy and who have been adopted into a heavenly family, we need to see those children around us, those poorest of the poor, those neediest of the needy, those who are lonely, those who are helpless, those who need a home, those who need fathers and mothers, We need to reach out with the love of Christ. and We need to bring them into homes. And we want to help those that you have called in our congregation to be a part of this important ministry. Father, give us the grace to see the need. Give us the grace to give generously. Father, we pray that we would have a heart for children as Jesus did. We pray in his name.